Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Poritz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people to discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission, to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams and with my coaching, help you make those dreams come true. You can visit my website at myfuturecoach.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach Andrew. If you're listening live and you have a question, the phone number here is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to the show on the phone, and if you press number one, a little hand will come up and let me know that you have a question. We also have a live chat room right on the show page where you can feel free to join in. My guest tonight, Marcy Axness, Ph.D., is an early development specialist, popular international speaker, and author of Parenting for Peace, Raising the Next Generation of Peacemakers. She's a top blogger at Mothering.com and a member of their expert panel. Featured in several documentary films as an expert in adoption, prenatal development, and Waldorf education, Dr. Axis has a private practice coaching parents in progress. She considers as one of her most important credentials that she raised two peacemakers to share with the world, Ian and Eve, both in their 20s. Dr. Axness, are you with me? I'm with you, Andrew. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. And may I call you Marcy? You certainly may. Please do. <laughs> okay. And you can call me Professor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. Professor Poritz. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just call me Andrew. Yes, sir. So <laughs> so welcome. Uh, we are, we are uh, on opposite sides of the country tonight. Yeah, and hopefully we are creating a big arc of, of of inspiration and knowledge across the entire country and beyond. Uh, as as uh, if you know the reference here, I grok. Do you know what I that means? Oh, it's one of the great Robert Heinlein. Hello. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I figured anybody okay, with a, get too out a, a title like "Parenting for Peace" is going to grok grok. Yes. So I'm very excited that you know that. Cool. So. The, so I uh, have your book in my hand. That's good. And uh, with your lovely picture on it, <laughs> and the lovely names of parenting in, in, uh, for peace. Now, the first thing that I noticed about this book when I got it, uh, quite frankly, is that this is a large book. It with a is. lot of, and it's like real kind of small type. It's <laughs> so about four hundred pages, which I think if uh, in, if this were in. Uh, in in the font for like old people, it would be ten thousand pages, but if it yes, was regular yes. font, it would be like about I don't know. I'm going to say five or six hundred. Well, you know, here's the funny, here's the story behind this. When I go back and I look at the notes that I was making for myself as I first started to have the idea mm-hmm. for this book, I actually wrote, "I want this to be a slender volume." So that's kind of funny because it's definitely not a slender volume. <clears throat> but here's the thing, I do think of it funny enough, even though it's over 400 pages, as a sort of a cliff notes, and don't laugh too hard, but this is why. It's like a, it's a one-stop shop for parents of a certain mindset, mm-hmm. progressive, um, wanting to sort of exit the status quo and find healthier ways to do things. What I did was I collected gems from dozens and dozens and dozens of other authors and I wove them together into this tapestry that, you know, does have its own voice as well. Yeah. So, yes, it's it's a dense book, um, but there's, a you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck. So, but I'll tell you what I've been doing so much of lately is boiling it down even more for people. 
you know, in in my in webinars I've been doing and talks that I do, you know, when I do a, a conversation like this, I I try to boil things down ever more into usable, practical tools that kind of pick up on what's in the book, mm. you know, kind of giving people a quick start, you know, like the little booklet that comes with your cell you know, phone. I can't believe that you mentioned that because that was actually, um, uh, I was going to ask you if, is there the quick start version like that comes with your computer? That's so funny. You know, Andrew, we, we vibe alike. We yeah, talk alike. Absolutely. So I'm actually uh, going to be scheduling a webinar. I've done a couple with other people. I just did one as part of the Nonviolent Communication Academy mm. at a big, beautiful um, webinar conference. Uh, but I'm going to do my own, and I am going to subtitle it a Parenting for Peace Quick Start Session. For people who just, I understand parents are busy and they're overwhelmed mm -hmm. and, and we do have too much information out there. And so, I, believe me, the irony is not lost on me. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, and I'm the guy who reads those, you know, they always say read the effing manual. And I'm the guy who actually reads them. Uh-huh. Um, You're that still, one guy. <laughs> I'm that one guy. But before I read the manual, I always go to the quick store. Yes, well, don't we all? So, yeah, so I, I've really been coming at it from more of a quick start uh, approach, um, giving parents sort of a handful of what I call big bang tools. Mm. You know, one tool that incorporates, you know, two or three or four of the principles. The, the book is based on seven principles. Yes. And so it's sort of a, you know, when you go to the gym, and you get a trainer to teach you these big bang exercises that work more than one muscle group at a time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing. Okay. So I want to uh, go back a little bit. And first of all, the, the very title of Parenting for Peace is very intriguing to me. The whole idea and the, the ideas of your book, the idea of creating uh, a world of peace by, by how we're parenting our kids in the first place. Well, Huge. doesn't that strike you? I'm sorry to say this because I did write the book, but doesn't that strike you as sort of a no-brainer? Isn't it shocking that, that that idea hasn't been explored by, you know, there's people out there who make their living writing books about how we're going to have a sustainable future, and mm -hmm. none of them are talking about how we raise the next citizens. Uh, to me, that's just like a head-scratcher. Well, I mean, we, we're, we're currently in a world in which, you know, citizenship, you know, since you're going to say citizen, citizenship is sort of something that we don't even talk about these days. I don't even know if they teach it in school the way they did when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's to me, it's just, it's like a big, um, just begging to be addressed. Uh, so, so I addressed it. And, you know, uh, just to nutshell it for the listener who's mm -hmm. just hearing about it for the first time, the idea of the book is if we really want to change the world, we need to raise a generation who are built for peace, who, who mm -hmm. have the neural circuitry for the kinds of um, qualities and capacities that peacemakers need. Self-regulation, empathy, trust, imagination, uh, intellectual and emotional flexibility. When you think of great leaders, they, they, they have this suite of, of capacities. Mm -hmm. And um, the, 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 the hook here with my book is really the only book out there that addresses the fact that the foundations of this brain development that supports these, these capacities, those foundations begin developing 
long before we think of parenting beginning. They begin in the womb and even before preconception. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, you know, it's a real stretch for some people to, you know, grok that. (laughs) (laughs) So so what do you mean by preconception? Before you conceive a child. I know it literally. Okay, okay, so, well, what we're learning is that there, oh, my gosh. Sorry, I'm going to get some, oh, oh, I've got to close you out. Oh, sorry. (laughs) A little feedback there because I had your website open. Okay. Um, Yeah, we're finding, you know, this, this new exciting field of epigenetics and how, you know, we are not prisoners of our DNA. Our DNA is not the grand destiny maker. That there are a lot of environmental um, influences, mm-hmm. and the, and there's research coming down now, practically weekly, showing that these epigenetic changes and these epigenetic influences begin, for example, in a man, you know, uh, in the in in his sperm before conception. Mm. Um, and certainly, you know, a, a woman's uh, eggs and the health of the support. You know, I don't want to get too technical here, but um, you know, in, embryology and all that. But so the the the, the take home is, parenting begins way earlier than we ever imagined, and certainly during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy is what I call nature's early head start program. Okay. Um, and it's pure evolution. Andrew, I mean, it's um, it's nature's job to create organisms who will thrive as much as possible, be as well suited as possible to the environment that they're going to be born into. Hmm. So what better way to create a brain that's ready to thrive in that world than while it's being wired up in utero, be receiving lessons. The mother downloads lessons to her growing fetus about what the world is like. Is it a dangerous world? That wires up a different brain, and that can be transmitted if it truly is a dangerous world, if she's living in you know, in the Middle East. But um, that's a very, very small percentage of, mm-hmm. of the world's pregnant women. Mostly, you know, it's transmitted through stress, because biochemically, when we feel stress, it's the same thing going on in our body as if we're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Right. And so teaching the the fetal brain, ooh, dangerous world out here, wire up to be more reactive, more Mm -hmm. impulsive, less able to pay attention. Hmm, what does that sound like? Our epidemic of ADD? I mean, it's all, when you pull it back, when you zoom back and look, take a meta look at it, which is sort of my favorite thing to do, it, it makes sense. But then I like to flip it, and I always like to look at the upside. We are designed to become more peaceful. We're des- we, this is a promise of our biology. We're designed to evolve and become happier and more intelligent and more peaceful. And so this is kind of a roadmap of how we can do it. And it's a win-win for parents mm-hmm. because I'm not, you know, and I do go to, to great lengths in the book to say, you know, I'm not here to engineer specific kinds of kids, right? It's, a, it's um you know, when you parent in this way and, and a child's brain develops, their social brain develops in this vibrant way, it's a win-win because they're a joy to parent. They're a delight in the family. Family life is filled with more ease and mm-hmm. more tranquility and more joy. And then when they grow up, they're, you're, you're contributing another peacemaker to the world. 
So if you know, you, you, looking at these types of uh, things that we might do before childbirth, uh, could you then go backwards and look at some of the results we do have in the world and say, where did that come from in the process of, of the childbirth process in the uh, pregnancy? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's some fascinating, and I do include some of them in my book, there's fascinating connections between a person's um, what I would call primal story, their their prenatal history, the, the circumstances around their conception, what happened during pregnancy, and then, you know, later um, fears, compulsions, personality traits that are, it's you know, it's a whole litany of fascinating stuff. Can you give me an example that, that sure. stands out? Sure, you know, and of course, I... I you know, the really compelling um, and uh, sort of eye-opening examples are always the negative ones. They're always the dramatic ones. Um, but I'll just give you one. There was a, a very interesting small study of suicidal adolescents. And what they were able to, you know, deduce through this study was that these um, youth suicide attempts were taking place at the same time each year when their mothers had tried to abort them. And none of these mm. adolescents had any conscious awareness. They'd never been told, you know, when you were in your mother's womb, she tried to abort you. They were never told that. So it's this, we, we do retain our story very deep in us. There's, you know, sometimes it's called cellular memory, which isn't mm-hmm. really quite correct. But we are a memory mechanism you know, and memory is not stored like, you know, your old boxes in the attic. It's not stored in one place in our brain. We carry our story in us in, you know, electrical impulses in, in, it's a whole. It's a whole. Well, I know like the Scientologists have this idea of engrams, of, of memory yeah, stored yeah. in various parts of your body. Oh, abort, abort. Let's yeah. Let's not go there. But, you know, I, I do have to say that there are a couple of concepts that I have heard associated mm-hmm. with Scientology that actually um, are congruent with what what I have found to be true in, in at very, you know, through many different disciplines right. of study. Um, and, you know, and so that's one of them, I guess. That's one of the few things I know that happens to, happen to match up kind of with what you're talking about. So yeah. Think well, of it. and the other thing that I did hear, um, you know, of course, it was when it was when Tom Cruise and yeah. Katie were having poor, poor Suri, Suri, who's had such a bizarre childhood. Um, I was actually asked several times for quotes for Us Magazine. <laughs> really? I appeared in Us Magazine talking, commenting on, I was, I, I always refuse to comment directly because I hate that. I think that's really not classy. You mean being um, the talking head, talking about somebody you've never met. Exactly. Yeah. But what I always was very clear to say is I'm happy to talk about what children of that age need in general. Gotcha. Yeah. And somehow that never did square up with, you know, her high heels and her going out to dinner at midnight and stuff like that. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did hear that they also really believe in um, being very quiet at the birth. Yeah, extremely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm um, birth is a very, very important time. And there, you know, it's a very big time of imprinting. I don't necessarily believe you have to be quiet. Um, I think that there's a piece of consciousness that absolutely is called for that, you know, in general, we're not, you know, in general, it's it's not an awareness. So what, what do you think of, by the way, there's a, there was a movement uh, 
back in the 80s that I remember. I don't know if it's still going on, of underwater births. Oh, Andrew, where have you been? That is practically now has become synonymous with home birth. Almost, if, if you say I'm having a home birth, you're almost for sure having a water birth. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's very big among the natural childbirth um, community. And as a matter of fact, funny enough, um, I've been I've been talking with Peggy O'Mara, who is the um, editor in chief of Mothering Magazine, which is now Mothering.com. Mm-hmm. And um, she, we both have agreed that I'm going to do a, write an in-depth piece on sort of you know the risks that no one talks about of water birth. It's going to be mm-hmm. extremely controversial because it's going to just blow. People will just freak out, and I can't wait. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but I mean now you know if anybody's listening going well what are the risks of water birth, um, you know it's just um, there are aspects. Uh, first of all, we are mammals. We are not designed to be born in water. Okay, we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some implications, even out into the spiritual realms, about having um, you know coming out and having breath be the first element that you encounter and not water, you know, mm. air, not water. Um, but also the 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 smell. And I have a, a dear friend who's a midwife who um, actually was in conversations with her about this. This actually came up in the idea of doing an article because she's had parents who've had both kinds of births with a water birth as their second. Mm-hmm. And they asked her, they said, you know what we weren't prepared for was that the smell got washed away. There's a very mm. smell is the most potent sense when it comes to our limbic um, structures and our whole mammalian brain, which is really what's meant to be active during a birth, right? Yeah. If you want to have a very smooth and quick birth, do not awaken a woman's prefrontal, you know, her her um, cortex with mm-hmm. language, with light, with being observed. It, it's really a quite a simple formula, and I'm not really even into formulas, but um, but yeah. So so they really were not prepared for this idea for this for the uh, suddenly that that smell not being there. So mm. that's just one there. And, you know, and we're not saying water birth is bad. We're just right. saying can we have a conversation, people? Maybe we need to make a, a, a new baby spray smell, like for the like you have those <laughs> like cars, car you know, new car smell. Yeah. <laughs> I laugh, but I'm outraged. Let's carry on. With the <laughs> okay. Look, I'm just trying to be a creative solution guy here. That's what I do. Okay. At, at Ingenuity Coaching, we always look for for solutions to right, problems right. that don't need any help. Um, yeah. I'm I'm being funny. Uh, no, but also going back to what we were saying before. Uh, you know the things that happen, you know, in the womb. And I'll, I'll speak for myself. My my mother always told me that she always was playing Frank Sinatra records when when I I was in the I womb. I love these stories. Oh yay! And, Tell me more. And, who, and I'm a huge. I mean, that's like listen to probably more Sinatra than anything else. I, I'm a singer who, who's emulated that type of singer. Uh, I'm a musician, and from all the music that I, you know, I always say all the music I heard in the womb. I mean, that's what I listen to. 
Yeah, well, I, I love, you know, I just love hearing this. And, of course, I've collected so many of what we in the scientific world call anecdotal evidence, yes. right, which which to scientists means it's not worth anything. Right. You know, it wasn't case-controlled and, you know, double-blind and mm-hmm. P-test and all that, um, which I do not believe. I, I absolutely believe there's quality, you know, qualitative research is every bit as important as stuff that you can crunch mm-hmm. with numbers. And I just love hearing those stories. And, um, yeah, I include a story in my book um, about Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple shared in her autobiography exactly what her mother did when she was pregnant. Mm. It's, an, it's a fascinating case study that just, once again, corroborates this fact. And I, one of my colleagues who we we both, do not really cotton to the idea of what is called prenatal stimulation in our field. You know, okay. putting head putting headphones on your womb with teaching language and mm-hmm. teaching. And there's all kinds of programs because you know, of course, the minute you find out that there is sentience <laughs> in there, somebody's going to want to, you know, manipulate it, optimize it, and all of that. And I actually write quite passionately in in the book about why I'm not a fan of mm. that in general. The best prenatal stimulation program is a mother being connected with her life. The, the, the ongoing question of the baby in the womb is what kind of world am I coming into, Mommy, through your eyes? So it's what is that mo- what inspires that mother? What makes her happy? I bet your mom loved the Frank Sinatra records. You know, I see, because... It's not that she was playing Frank Sinatra because she had decided to engineer a baby. Who oh, no. That's, that's what, I mean, she was one of those people who went to the Paramount Theater in 1942. You know. Exactly. And yeah. so it was, do you see that there was the association of these wonderful hormones of pleasure flowing mm-hmm. in her sure. and the Frank Sinatra? Mm-hmm. Do you see the difference between engineering, okay, I'm going to play this because this is going to make my baby smarter or more cultured. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, I so I started to say that one of my colleagues and I, we actually wrote a very strongly worded editorial years ago uh, about kind of speaking out against those kinds of systematized prenatal stimulation programs. And mm-hmm. so she, she she cringes when I when I bring this up. But, you know, long before I had this awareness, but I but I did. I had read Thomas Burney's classic book, The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. Mm. I did put music on my belly with my firstborn, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I was playing stuff that I did like as well. And there was also, you know, I, I played a lot of it just in, you know, just in general and not directly into my womb. But I did play Vivaldi in Bach. And and um, my son is a, prof- is a musician, a classical musician. Well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, and, and is that why? Who, who knows? I, you know, uh, but uh, there is a preponderance of evidence suggesting that there is a continuity. And why wouldn't there be? To me, mm-hmm. it makes way more sense that there is than that, that there wouldn't be. Hmm. Don't you, you know, when, if you go back to the idea that, remember, nature wants to prepare organisms who are going to thrive in the environment that they're born into. And so that environment gets downloaded to them during pregnancy. It's a, it's a, it's 
like I said, nature's early head start program. And that's you know that's a, a sort of metaphor you 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 have throughout this uh, the book. Uh, metaphors like of downloading hardware, um, you know, implanting. Yeah, I, I do. I do kind of cringe a little bit, even myself, at really? using com- well, at using computer metaphors. Oh, I do. I'm a computer guy, so I got all excited. So for me, it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I, I get that. Well, and I just, you know, I always like to remind people that. You know, we created computers in our own image, and so but that's one of the reasons that the metaphors do do work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are so much more infinitely mysterious and miraculous than I think computers ever will be. So that's I just need to include that disclaimer. <laughs> well, you better watch out. There are some things coming down the pike in that area. <laughs> well, yes. Um, one one thing that I thought I thought maybe this is where you were going with the, the metaphor that weaves throughout the book um, that I want to throw out there for listeners if there's just one thing that they take away uh, from from our conversation today this is a fruitful thing to take away because it really informs every moment of their lives and certainly of their of their child's life from the very beginning. And that is, and this is one of my big bang tools, and I've turned it into a tool. And so the tool is a mantra, and the mantra is, I choose growth. And by that, I mean that at every moment and at every stage of our existence, we are always deciding between growth or protection. Mm. You know, which is, you know, it goes to that same love or fear, right? But this is, you know, this biologizes it a little more. Right down to ourselves, you know, uh, and to the community of cells that is a person and and a community of people that is a family, the question is always being asked. Checking in with the environment, bringing in information from the environment and deciding, do circumstances warrant me devoting all of my, all of my energies towards optimal growth or do I have to devote my energies towards protecting and that is really the mainspring that the entire book's approach turns on our um, you know our our brains we are like I said we're designed to evolve Joseph Chilton Pierce's brilliant book The Biology of Transcendence breaks this down very very clearly for us we have these things called prefrontal lobes that are that have the potential to grow so much more flourishingly, if that is a word, than they ever have. Mm-hmm. But um, what happens is through our threatening actions in the course of daily life, we put out cortisol, okay? Mm-hmm. Most people know, even even non, non-technical professional people know, cortisol is, our, is one of our main stress hormones. Right. And... Joseph Chilton Pierce points out that cortisol is one of the most neurotoxic substances known to man, meaning it kills brain cells. So, and so many of our threatening actions to which we are exposed in in a lifetime happen in the context of parenting, and even in the most well-meaning of parenting. and it, they can be subtle. It can be the tone of a voice. It can be the look on your face of disgust or shame that sets cortisol going, that throws a child into protection mode, and boom, 
that child's prefrontal cortices are not growing as fully as they could. And what kind of results happen from that? Well, <laughs> we have the world we have right now. <laughs> You're looking at the results. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you know, you asked before for some examples of, you know, of uh, the continuity between prenatal experience and postnatal life. One of the, you know, I don't know, uh, facts is people who are inclined to really, um, you know, just instinctually follow this idea of a really fruitful you know, um, supported, loving, uh, joyous, inspired pregnancy, and then continue this through childhood and, you know, utilizing the kinds of discipline and guidance that do not invoke that cortisol response. Joseph Chilton Pierce actually had a, has at least one photograph that he shows of this child whose prefrontal lobes already were growing so large that it was a little bit, um, actually a little bit it would take you back as a viewer mm-hmm. with this just this prominent forehead that you're like it's almost like you know this is how sometimes how we depict aliens right um unfortunately these people who are inclined to do this they don't they don't write books or they don't chart the progress they don't right. they don't become test subjects they just live their lives <laughs> that's a big part of why they're getting that result so the fact is it is our prefrontal uh lobes that like the great neuroscientist um, uh, Paul McLean, he calls them our angel lobes. You know, they are the seat of all of our, our our higher, the better angels of our nature. You know, that is where our creativity, our empathy, all of that, the seat of our social intelligence lies. That's a very important book, by the way. Daniel Goleman who wrote emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. you know, which led to, you know, pretty much the household term EQ. Right. Well, he wrote a book that I see see as every bit as important, if not more so, and that is social intelligence. And really his conclusion at the end of the book was it comes down to parenting. It, it, this has to, this, this is a, a challenge for parents to cultivate, to foster the most robust and vibrant development of the social brain and you know and by that really it's it's that it's that prefrontal cortex development that what really comes into my mind though at the moment when you're talking about this now in 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 the ideal kind of situation or or circumstance or where you where you are uh, of doing this sort of thing versus what about for people who are in really challenging environments yeah. Uh, you know, stressed out. There's you know very little income, or they're in the. I don't know. There's they're in a. They don't even have a house, or they're in right. A, Excellent question. Such a good question because of course you know this type of approach, um, you know, in a way is you know sticks its head up asking to be called elitist, right? But here's the thing. One of my dear colleagues, the one who doesn't. He doesn't like the prenatal stimulation programs or systems that that people sell. She, uh, in some of her early work, she worked with the psychosomatic medicine team in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Mm -hmm. And she would go into the favelas there, the slums, that are about as bleak as you'll find anywhere. 
and she worked with pregnant moms. And what she described really cuts the legs out from under that elitist challenge because she saw women's eyes light up when they learned that they didn't need this, that, or that purchased item to do the best for their baby. That through their own inner life, by just finding some little joy in a day, singing a song that makes her happy, just even understanding how important she is to her baby, gave them the the um, what the engine, the inspiration uh, that that they needed to at least uh, get that inner life joy connectedness flowing. There are some stories. Again, these are all anecdotal, but back in you know the uh, you know some horrific stories in World War Two where there were some, you know, the, the majority of women who were pregnant at the time, the, the, the babies, you know, into adulthood suffered because of that stress. But there were always, you know, I always find that the most interesting um, information comes from what we call the outliers, which Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book about outliers. But the tales, you know, what happened in the ones who who didn't, well, let me back it up. There were some women who took strength from the fact that they were pregnant, that they they felt this teamwork with their coming child. Hmm. In, a, in a way, they, they kind of joined with the spirit of that child and said, we're in this together and we're going to do this. That kind of, that builds a resilience, you know, a resiliency and a strength, an inner strength that, that is absolutely more important than the latest stroller or the latest baby clothes or the latest crib or any of that. So that's something really important to know. Yes, um, I, I, I give a couple examples in the book. I contrast two pregnant women in the same stressful situation, and then I get, give an example of, of how each one might right. react. And, and always central is the consciousness. I mean, if I had to pick one word that is the the the, the, the agent of of change in all of this, and not just you know what I'm talking about, but right. pretty much anything, mm-hmm. is consciousness. Now that I know that my inner life is is helping shape this brain, now what am I going to do? How does my inner life become now? And it is a challenge. It is daunting. It, it's, um, you know, we have this choice either to not feel so responsible, not feeling that feel that daunting responsibility. But then there's a certain anguish. There's a powerlessness, right? Sure. So it's all. It really comes down to consciousness. Would you like to take a question? I'd love to take a question. That's such a it's fun thing. I don't know. Okay. Um, so somebody in the Denver area who has their hand up. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I always give warning just in case they didn't mean to or they forgot and that you're oh. listening. So Denver, you're about to come on the air. Hold on, please. Denver, you are on the air. Yes. Hi. 
Hi, I have a question for Dr. Axness. Can you hear me? Yes. I can hear you. Who is this? Hey, my name's Karen. I, I live here in Colorado, and I... I have a cold, so please forgive me. I read one of your reviews. I mean, I found the information incredibly fascinating. And I have a question. I'm a mother. Uh, I already have had my kids, and many of my friends have already had their kids. And and you talk a lot about all this prenatal um, education and information, but I'm not having any more kids. I'm done. So... Like, what could you say to us? Because, like, we sort of missed the window of opportunity, it sounds like. And it just, like, the book was really good. And so now, like, yes, how could you speak to me who's already had my kids? I, you, know, uh, you know, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. And Oh, my gosh, that's such a good question. Thank you, Karen. I, well, funny enough, and I don't know, she said she read a review, and I wonder if she saw this review, but a, a, a recent review that came out, um, the reviewer basically really loved the book, but she was annoyed by that exact fact. And so I'm really glad Karen brought that up because I'm sure, you know, if one person's annoyed, there's, there's always going to be more than one that, you know, I do spend, let, well, for, let's put it this way. The book is, the approach is based on seven steps in time. Okay beginning with preconception, and going through adolescence. Step number four mm. is birth. Well, so that's really front-loaded. So I can absolutely see the frustration of somebody who buys this long book, as, as Andrew, you pointed out, it's a long book, and finds out that, you know, if you've got a four-year-old, you're starting at step six. Mm. <laughs> ah. But here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. And it's a really important thing. Almost too apparent, and I have had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of clients in my private practice, my private coaching practice. They would come in with some some disturbing either developmental or behavior issues in their four-year-old, their five-year-old, their three-year-old, whatever, and Almost to a client, we would find the most potent clues to that mysterious behavior or, or development issue in their prenatal story or their birth story. And so, number one importance is it 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 helps to what I call depathologize. I I do not take a pathologizing view of almost any behavior. In my experience, clinically. There is always a very um, reasonable reason <laughs> to be redundant for why a child is behaving in a certain way, and we speak of this idea of acting out. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, the, my child is acting out, and you know, people think it's just a fancy way of saying they're misbehaving. No, right. they are acting out either a memory. Uh, very often, what happens? Uh, I'll just I'll give you one example. Okay. Um, this um, this little girl was um, she was I think five, and her mom said that uh, she would first of all she was very kind of um, you know she had some attention issues she couldn't really settle down you know a classic sort of ADD situation, but also she would just have these outbursts where she would just scream she and the way the the mother used the words she would scream bloody murder. So, 
in about the second or third session, because I usually don't work very long with somebody. It's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, concentrated process. It's not like therapy that goes on forever. Right. Um, I said, so how, you know, how, how, tell me about her birth. That's usually one of the first places I'll go. And then, and then from there we'll go backwards. Tell me about your pregnancy. And, and sometimes it's about the conception and that's, that's come up as an issue often. But, uh, so tell me about the birth. Oh, well, it was fine. You know, it was fine. She was born. There were really no complications. It was a, it was a natural birth. And then without going through all of what she said, I will just bottom line it and say what happened next was the mother almost bled out. Um, she almost hemorrhaged to death with the baby, the newborn, in the father's arms right there in the room. Wow. So there was this extreme emergency filled with blood, thank you very much. Remember how she said her daughter would scream bloody murder? Mm-hmm. Here was her mother about to die, uh, surrounded with blood. Okay, so, so, okay, so then what do you do with that information? Remember how I said consciousness. Even just the parents coming to a consciousness of what the child's story is and an understanding that that story has meaning can very often shift things dramatically. So often they'll come back the next week or two weeks later and go, oh, my gosh, there's just suddenly this shift. Um, And so that is a very good reason. And, in fact, I think the reviewer, that I'm talking about, she did say, she came, she circled around and said, even if you are, you know, even if you find yourself um, tempted to skip over those parts, she said, I really recommend you read them because Mm -hmm. I think she ultimately came to the realization that, and also we can get some really great insight into ourselves when we read those, those chapters. And uh, one of the bottom line findings in the science of interpersonal neurobiology is the more you can come to understand your own story, the more your child will thrive. So it's a kind of an all roads lead to Rome approach. Wow. Mm. So that's my answer for you, Karen. Does that does that make sense? Oh, I just uh, I put her back on mute. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So, but she's still hearing. And anybody else who was sharing that, does that make sense to you, Andrew? It makes sense to me. Let me let me uh, let me just put put Karen back oh. on for a second. Uh, Karen. Yes, yes, yes. Thank so you. That makes sense to you. Did that make so, sense to you? It, it totally makes sense, but now I'm wondering what are some tools from what you do with your clients that I could possibly do with my children right? so that I feel like, you know, I didn't do it all bad already, and is there a way to, like, fix it, make repair uh, for well, things? Gosh, Karen, you're using beautiful words. Repair is a beautiful word. There's actually a scientist who's, you know, um, who has done so much research around repair when we kind of break the connection with our child through giving them a, a shame, shaming look or whatever. And so repair is always possible. It doesn't matter what the time frame. There's really no statute of limitations on repair. And in this situation... Oh, in fact, I actually have – this is perfect timing. My gosh, she was perfect. I have a free gift to offer your listeners. um, And, Karen, maybe you'll get the first one. Great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, at my website, parentingforpeace.com, right on the homepage I have a slider. And the first panel that comes up in the slider 
is it's a little e-booklet. It's very it's the it's the opposite, Andrew, of the very long dense book. It's a tiny little tool that is boiled down to its essentials. Yeah. And it's about sleep talking, and I have used this in my practice with clients to great effect. And it's a great tool for using for this exact situation when you have discovered that there was there was a hiccup, there was a trauma, there was a disconnect in your child's primal, you know, in their in their uh, womb time, in their birth, in their early years. And it's a wonderful tool to use. And you just you talk to them when they're sleeping, and it's a whole little protocol. So mm-hmm. you're welcome to go and download that. Oh, get that. But thank you for your question, and um, you know, I, I wish you the best with it. And you know, it's it's never too late. That's really one of the that's really one of the the points I want to make very very clear. Even though you know you might have an eight year old when you pick up the book, and you're you're into step seven now. <laughs> it's never, ever too late. So it's never too late. So can my 85-year-old father do anything with me? <laughs> you know, it's never too late, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I might have to you know, get him on the line here, you know, and get some <laughs> advice from you. Uh, it might be too late for me. but um, <laughs> So actually, uh, which, my next question for you, is that is, you or Karen banging the phone? That I just uh, I just put Karen back on hold. Okay. Um, so for the like, I'm not a parent. Yeah. Well, I like to say I'm a parent. I'm not a parent, but you can see my right through me. It's <laughs> a little pun. Um, that's. Thank you. Well, By the view we'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> seriously though. Uh, transparent, but, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got glad I got a laugh out of you. Anyway, okay. the, for the not is this what might and the non-parent get from this book? Well, a lot. Uh, I hesitate to say it because you know all of the you know all the people out there who is you know who teach you about marketing. They say you know don't try to be don't try to make it like your book is for everyone, but it actually is. So <laughs> thank you okay. for asking me. The thing is, a huge part of our own maturity as people, as humans, right, involves, you know, without kind of calling up that sort of tired trope of the inner child, it is quite true. It involves us becoming the good parent to ourselves. Mm. And so there are actually some really good practical guidelines in here for any individual, certainly in, you know, steps one and two, which are preconception and conception, because right. that's mostly about really living, you know, really creating the the most vibrancy, the most, you know, connected inner life possible. So that's, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer. And, and, and there's including, I have in there um, seven, seven ways to rewire a negative brain, a negative mindset. I mean, how many of us don't get into a funk now and again? So, yeah, there's a lot of little practical tips in there like that. But then, just like I was saying to Karen a minute ago, mm-hmm. the more we can understand what has, you know, what has woven our own story, 
the more we're in a position to make choices that are that are for growth, you know, that do serve our greatest well-being. One of the things that I sometimes even tell my kids, you know, when they're in a situation, I suggest that they act as if they're the parent of themselves. You know, they themselves might allow themselves to be treated X, Y, or Z way, but would their parent allow that? You know, or would their parent set some sort of, you know, boundary on the behavior of the friend who's doing whatever? I don't know if that was clear. But so, you know, that is, you know, ultimately that's what any therapy is about. Right. Is about really individuating, finding what made us as a person, taking responsibility for that. You know, and then moving forward in as, you know, as healthy and vibrant a way as possible. And so there is a lot in there for the non-parent, I think. Well, you know, you talk, you mentioned like uh, the, the, the inner child. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I always tell people I'm, I'm run by my, my I, I have two inner children. Yes. A five-year-old and a 12-year-old. Okay. <laughs> Or 12 to 15-year-old, depending on the day. But the 5-year-old is the one who makes me watch SpongeBob. Okay. I blame that guy. And, okay. Uh, and who doesn't want to make my bed and all that all that other mm-hmm. stuff. And the, the 12-year-old is probably the one that still laughs at fart jokes, you know. Okay. Well, so how would I – what's in the book there for you? For one thing, can I just jump on – Sure. Can I just jump in there on – um, one thing that I would just compassionately and gently invite you to look at okay. is your terminology of I am run by. Because one of the biggest epidemics out there, um, certainly showing up in my in my coaching practice, is a lack of a sense of authority and confidence in parents the more i the more i see and the more i learn the more i see that people experience life with children and especially young children as a series of battles and tactical maneuvers you know that five-year-old is going to hit me up to watch spongebob i better be ready for that you know mm-hmm. um and so a big part of my work has become and in fact there's um, I, I finally put an audio my an audio coaching session on CD um, about you know dealing with this, cultivating calm, loving authority, and and cultivating this this sense of confidence and conviction that when you have that, first of all, a whole raft of discipline issues go away because there's something in that self possession that our children pick up on. And it makes discipline a lot less of an issue. Again, it comes back to the mammalian thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever watched Cesar Milan, the dog, the dog guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you if you understand and get him, then you've got a lot knocked when you're talking about parenting young children, because it's that pack leader thing. They want to feel a a calm strong, loving, authoritative leader. 
They want a leader they can follow joyfully and sort of not have to be thinking all the time. This is an epidemic. Little kids are just way too savvy, way too in the know, have way too much say in what's going on in the in the daily life of the family. Mm-hmm. That is epidemic. And I talk a lot about that in the book, and I have a gazillion blog posts on about it. because, um, And that's where I have found that my clients seem to notice the most change. Even that woman who reviewed my book most recently, she uh, she followed up with a couple of tweets, and she said, already my children are responding to my increased sense of confidence and authority. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I think, again, for for all of us who do move around, move through our lives with an entourage, I think there's more than just two. I mean, maybe for you there's just two. With parents who spend a lot of time with a child of every of every age, that will bring up our own child self at that age. And that's really, I would say, the biggest landmine of parenting. It's the thing that I think most of us are least prepared for. I will say that you know, when as a new mom, mm-hmm. when I had my, my my son, who's now the musician, was a baby, I, you know, I found myself in the bathroom whipping a hand towel against the counter in frustration, you know, wow. making it crack really loud, crack, 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 draining off enough rage so that I could sit on the floor with him and his blocks and be there for him. And, you know, I had this very... J. Crew organic baby food, shiny exterior that I cultivated nicely. But behind that, I was really struggling and I was determined to find out why. And what I discovered was is when we hold a baby in our arms, the baby we once were, you know, along with whatever unresolved or unmet needs we might have had, is there too. And that is really, that blindsides parents. And that's when we you know, aren't our best selves because we're suddenly re-triggered with all this stuff. And then, and then, but yet we need to be present and calmly authoritative and all that stuff. And it's a real kind of a collision sure. that you're into there. So, but I do, but I do tell parents, you know, you're, we're, you're walking with an entourage of every age you ever were. And it gets really <laughs> crowded in there. You know, you oh, got yeah. your, your infant and your toddler and your teenager. Yikes. Well, I, I, for me, I think a, a, a two-parent persona is all I, a two-child persona is all I want. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's um, getting a handle or just, just even awareness of that, it, it will give parents a huge leg up. Again, it's consciousness, understanding that so, when you suddenly feel kind of out of control and like, like uh, overwhelmed, that's probably mm-hmm. why, you know, your own inner two-year-old is, is you know, sort of being triggered. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so and so I did this this CD, this recording, because so many of my clients over the years of me developing and refining everything is based on a guided imagery. They found it so helpful because, as you know, I'm sure you well know, mm-hmm. our nervous system and our brain does not distinguish between what we imagine and what is really hap- what really happens. Yeah. You know, athletes know have known this forever. Sure. You know, they've done fascinating studies where they had some basketball players actually practicing free throws and some just lying down, relaxed, 
imagining themselves practicing and making every one. Well, which one improved more? The ones who imagined making every one because they made every one. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I apply that whole science, that whole mind-body science to cultivating that calm, loving authority in the context of our own childhood story and, and the difficulties in it. So um, we're winding down now in our last uh, four minutes, believe it or not. Gosh, the time flies. Yeah, time flies. So, <laughs> so first of all, tell me what's next for you. What's next for me is I leave on Friday for Brazil. I am uh, doing three weeks, uh, almost three weeks worth of teaching there. I'm teaching at three universities and just a whole bunch of teaching. And it's actually going to be really cool for me because I'm going to get to go really in-depth and teach some really nitty-gritty like embryology and in-depth prenatal development, which I don't usually get to do um, since I since my the graduate institute where I taught closed. So that's going to be really fun. And, oh, by the way, I'll be there for Carnival and my birthday. Wow. So that's next. And then right when I get home, though, I've got this really cool six-week telecourse um, starting up with a, with a colleague of mine that is really, really awesome. And there's a um, there's a panel on my homepage about that as well, and people can hear the process in action, and it's very cool. Well, that's great. I can that's put that on next. my show page as well if you'd like. Yes, and anybody listening, do me a favor. Go by my Parenting for Peace um, uh, Facebook page and like me. I'm I'm aiming to break 500 before I leave for Brazil. I only have like three or four to go, but help me make it. <laughs> so is that uh, Facebook.com slash Parenting for Peace? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So I really appreciate you having me on. I just, you know, I love coming at this from the idea of coaching and from the idea of inspiring. And, awesome. Um, thanks for the work you do, too. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. So once again, everyone, and I mean everyone, you are you are to go to parentingforpeace.com. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And get your free e-booklet, which will pop right up on the slider panel. And I have a link uh, to the book on uh, on my show page, or you can just go to Amazon, look for Parenting for Peace on Amazon. But that link is on your page as well, I'm sure. It is. It's all over my page. And by the way, you can read a lot of the book right on Amazon on the on the Look Inside feature, so just to know that. Is there an audio book uh, of this as well? Oh, my gosh. We finally just got the Kindle version up after oh, much angst. So, no, there isn't. I really – I dream of that. I do. And maybe when it's up, I'll, we, I can come back and that we would, can talk about terrific. that. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much, Dr. Marcy Access. I'm so thrilled to have had you on my show tonight. Well, thank you, Professor Perez. <laughs> That's right. Just call me Prof. Prof. P-P. Prof P-P. And uh, <laughs> P-A-P. Whatever you want to call me, it's fine. Coach Andrew. <laughs> And uh, everyone, I will be back uh, in a couple of weeks. We'll not be here next week, but we'll be back here on Coach's Corner on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you soon. Good night. Night.